Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. So, um, I'm going to do a mini two-part series and I want to call that two-part series Home just because it's a cool name. Um, And I'm going to look at three, not today, but three um, different bits, okay? And I'm going to give you homework um, in between today and next week. Um, so, I'm going to look at the, the story, and I hate the name of this, but I'm going to call it that because you know what it means. Uh, I'm going to look at the story of the prodigal son, um, or sons, or really the story of the father, but that doesn't mean anything to us. So, the story of the prodigal son. Um, and then next week, your homework is to look at Mary and Martha, and the story of them, and to look at the... Uh, demonized man um, and I'll give you the, re- the references for that but to look at those two and you're going to have a little bit of thinking thing about how those two stories A connect to each other but B also connect into what we look at t- today so you can all be very excited I've already set it up for homework for next week so um, there will be prizes somehow I think of prizes um, you know just to annoy Si that that could be your prize. That's a fantastic prize. Nikki might like that prize, actually. That's a really good prize for Nikki, actually. Um, okay, so um, I just want you to turn to Genesis 1. And what we're going to do today is we're going to read through the entirety of the canon of Scripture from Genesis 1 right the way through to Revelation. And we're going to do it before Matt leaves the room um, through fear of that. So, now if you just go to Genesis, uh, where do we want to go to? We go to lots of places here. Um, let's go to Genesis 2, verse 8. It's very reassuring, isn't it, when the preacher's not entirely sure what part of the Bible he's going to before he starts. Yeah, where should we go today? I just like to feel that that's like just Holy Spirit led. That I just we'll just wait to see where God tells us to go, and then we'll go there. Uh, Genesis two verse eight. And it says this: The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there He put the man whom He had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, it's so hard to not go down that line, but we're not going to. Um, just keep hold true. Verse ten. Now after the river went out of Eden to the water of the garden, and from there uh, parted and became four riverheads. And then he talks talk, talk about different riverheads. I'm not going to do because I'll pronounce them wrong. Um, and then we're going to pick up verse fifteen. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to tend it and the Lord God commanded the man out of every living tree of the garden you're going to freely eat but the tree of knowledge is going to be evil you will not eat for in it that day you'll die etc etc then we're going to pick up verse 18 the Lord God said to me it's not good that man should be alone I will make a helper comparable to him at the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see that what well, he would call them whatever Adam called them living creature that was its name. And so he gave names to all the cattle, to the birds, to every beast in the field. But for Adam there was not found a comparable helper. And the Lord God caused him to fall into a deep sleep. And he slept and he took out of one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. 
Then the rib which the Lord God had made, had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and, the, and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, there is one thing I want to pull from that. Is God made a place for them. He made a place for Adam and Eve to live. He made a place for Adam and Eve to be. He made a place where they could be together and where they could be with him. Now, this place is home. And it was home not just because Adam and Eve were there. And it's home not just because they had food and they had nice things to look at. Because he talks about that the trees were good to see and good to eat okay so they had a nice environment to look at pleasant enjoyable to live there but at the same time had food to eat but that wasn't just why it was home the reason it was home was because it was where god was with them and that's a really important thing to say and that sounds very like kind of theological and christian but i want us just to really not allow it this one i mean not let it just be an intellectual thing because home is where the presence of god is and we've sp- spent time this morning talking about how God is here with us and he's moving in this place and those kind of things. And he is here with us today. He doesn't ever leave us or forsake us. And therefore, home is where the presence of God is. And we all at different phases in our lives will sometimes feel like we are just not anchored, not rooted, not not safe not secure not whatever it may be and sometimes that's because we can feel it we may not be but we can feel homeless we did an event didn't we about people that are homeless and the, the amazing thing about that is there's so many definitions of what homeless are that you've got people that are rough sleeping you've got people that just don't have a house to live in they may be sofa surfing you've got people that live in a house but actually it's not their house therefore it's not really their home you've then got people who may be in a house that they are able to live in because it's paid for they've got some ability to rent it whatever it may be but actually they don't feel settled and secure there therefore they might not be homeless but actually they haven't got a home they've got a house and so we have these lots of definitions but actually even beyond that we can live in our own home we can live in a home that we've paid for that we pay cash for wouldn't that be amazing where we don't have any mortgage to pay where we have all that kind of stuff but i still have that sense of like there's more and and part of that search for more is this idea that actually home is about where we are aware and we are connected to and we are present in the presence of God. The good, God's presence is always with us, but actually it's that sense of going, God, you're with me, and I feel connected to you, and I feel I feel one with you. And it's fascinating because Adam and Eve in this in this environment. Just think about it for a moment. It's amazing if you think, if you actually kind of. Sometimes I think sort of just get eroded from my mind because you just think it's just in the Bible. Just imagine it for a minute. Adam and Eve were the first human beings to ever, ever hear the voice of God. Now, whatever way that was communicated to them, whatever way they, they heard that, might have just been a resonance in their heart, might have been an audible thing, might have been a whatever. But they were the first humans to ever hear that. They were the first humans to ever know and in, interact with the kind of God Himself. They, they, they had so many firsts. So many people do that nowadays, don't they? They have the, this is the first time we did this, this is the first time we did this. These guys had like the first, the first. <coughs> they, they, these are like, kind of like, we were, the, we were just the first. 
not the first anything we were like literally the first and so they they had all of this stuff and they and they were comfortable with that and then we know in genesis 3 we're not going to read that today but we know in genesis 3 stuff happened that that stopped that and it didn't stop it from god's perspective it stopped it from man's perspective the man went we're not sure about god anymore so we're going to kind of stay away from him a little bit we're a little bit scared about god now we're a little bit ashamed about ourselves a little bit scared about him not quite sure about him and therefore we're going to kind of just keep ourselves a little bit distant from that and it's amazing i just want to read this that home is where the father's presence is he wants us to connect with him but we and by we i mean individually but also from a human race society point of view are no longer familiar with his voice we're no longer familiar with his, with his intimacy or his touch we're no longer familiar with his emotions um so what we do is we either rise up in rebellion and we kind of turn our backs on god and pretend he doesn't exist or or come up with lots of different things that suggest that and that rebellion isn't just like sorry moving my stuff around at the front here that rebellion could be any kind of way of doing that it could be something that doesn't look rebellious but actually ultimately it's a rebellion to go and actually god doesn't exist or actually he does exist but i want nothing to do with him or the other interesting one is we start a religion and we do do something that enables us to control this god that we're no longer familiar with so either we kind of rebel against this god in whatever form that might look like or we do something to go actually we kind of think you're probably there we don't really know you so we're going to just do something to kind of manage to manage you we're going to manage god okay which is really what religion is it gives me an ability to control him and that's a fascinating thing, isn't it? The, the, what, the where in my life am I doing stuff is actually me trying to go, God, if I do this, this, and this, you're going to have to do that. If I do this, this, and this, you're going to have to do that. If I work hard enough, you're going to have to do something. And really, the element of that, like, I'm trying to control God. Because what's happened is I've become unfamiliar with it. The, the, when um, I am unsure of situations, I try and either just leave that situation alone or I try and control the situation. So again, from a teaching perspective, maybe I'm going to look like a terrible teacher right now. If I am anxious or unsure about a student coming into my class, and I've had lots over the last sort of 12 years or so, I'm anxious or concerned about a student coming into my class, there can be one of two reactions in my heart or my mind about dealing with that thing. Either I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that student does not come into my classroom. Or... If they come into my classroom, I'm going to be very strict and very controlling of what they do in that environment. And that might look like brilliant teaching. Because I'm like, oh, when he goes into Steve's classroom, he's just under control. It's like, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the best for them. Because if it's coming, coming from a place of anxiety and fear in me, then that's not going to be the best for them. It's coming from a place of love. I boundaries because of love. That's a different thing. But isn't it interesting that, that we kind of do that sometimes with God? It's this idea of actually God... I either don't get you, so I'm just going to, don't want anything to do with you, you're going to just get away from me, whatever that means, or I'm going to try and control you through religion. And because God knew this, God is not daft, God is not stupid, he's fully aware, we don't know him, or we didn't know him, and I say we like individually or society, we, we, we got unfamiliar with him, and so we either rebelled, or we create a religion. And you can see that in every frame across society, people that rebel against God because they're plenty doesn't exist, or they perform a religion to try and control him. Because God knew we'd do that, he dealt with that. And he sent Jesus. And he sent Jesus to go, this is what I look like. This is what I'm like. You guys aren't familiar with me anymore, but guess what? 
I'm going to come and make you so incredibly familiar with what I am, so incredibly familiar with what my voice sounds like in terms of my, the expression of my intentions, so familiar with what I want for you, so familiar with what I feel about you, that I'm going to come and I'm going to literally go, here I am. Not on stone tablets in the Ten Commandments, not on um, even, obviously, that's passed down through, through the age, but literally I'm going to come and I'm going to be with you, in amongst you, in, your, in the dirt, in the highs, in the lows, with the religious, with the rebellious. I'm going to be with everybody. Because I know that some of you have formed a religion because you're not familiar with me. So I'm going to come and be with you. And I know some of you have turned to prostitution and some of you have turned to, to the extremes of, of, of cheating people out of their money and have turned your back on God. But I'm going to come and be with you as well. Because I know in those extremes you've done that because you're just not familiar with me. So I'm going to come and I'm going to be so close to you that you can just be so familiar with me. That you know me. That in the same way that, I don't know, um, people that might, might be dating or, or that, that, that kind of stuff. The miscommunication that comes through texting or the lovely thing that is social media or um, emails and all that kind of stuff that miscommunicates people are misunderstand why because there's something about the tangible experience of god being present or someone being present it removes that uncertainty about stuff the the g the jesus came and literally went this is what the father looks like he even said it himself when you've seen me you've seen the father why because you've misunderstood him You've allowed all this stuff to create an idea in your mind of what he's like. I'm coming in to make you familiar with him again. And what that does is when we look at Jesus and we realise that Jesus looks like God and God looks like Jesus, what it does is it causes us to be confident and bold. I just want to turn your Bibles just to... Uh, I'm not, I actually know where we're going this time. Just being, <laughs> being silly. Hebrews, somewhere in Hebrews. Let's just go to somewhere in Hebrews. I feel like that's where we should go right now. Nikki's giving me some brilliant pity laughs. I appreciate that, Nikki. Thank you. <laughs> Hebrews 4. And let's go for... Um, let's go for verse 12. Why not? Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharp than any two-edged sword, piercing him into the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is discerned of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him who we must give account. Sounds really scary, doesn't it? Okay. But then it says this. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Listen to that language. Seeing then. Seeing then. I seeing then, Jesus. Seeing him. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Okay, again, it, you could stop there and go, okay, that, that, that's good. But then it says this. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. So think about that. If God looks like Jesus and Jesus looks like God, that means God himself had things that he was tempted to do, had things that he felt and things that he had emotional attachment to. And therefore, we see him and we go, okay, that's what God looks like. God is not now unfamiliar to us. God is literally familiar, so familiar to us because he's experienced what we have experienced. He understands what we go through. I read that so often. And if you read it in isolation, you go, okay, yeah, Jesus is kind of cool, still not too sure about God. And somewhere in our religion, that's happened. It's gone like, Jesus came and Jesus took on, the, on God's wrath and Jesus, 
Jesus um, kind of helped us and just just simple phrases and I I'm, I'm, would be slant, smashed about all of the pastors saying this but little things like the idea of what it means to be in Christ where, where did that become that as long as we're in Christ God's okay with us because what that does is it goes God doesn't actually like me but Jesus is my kind of like force field and Jesus keeps me protected from this kind of angry God. If I step outside my force field, God's going to absolutely smash me all over the place. But if I stay in my force field, then God's okay with me. So what that really means is God doesn't really like me. God the Father doesn't really care for me. He only cares for me because I'm in Jesus. Now, I'm not knocking the fact we're in Christ. I'm not pulling at that. What I'm pulling at the fact is that the Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That God worked through Jesus to say, I'm coming because I want to bring everybody back to me in their terrible, awful condition. I want to bring them back to me. Why? Because I love them and I want relationship with them. God doesn't just love us because we're somehow weirdly kind of hidden from his sight. God loves us when we are completely exposed. We are completely laid bare with all our stuff, even the stuff that we don't want to share. He completely loves us and goes, I love you in spite of all of that stuff. I love you, I love you, I love you. And that this isn't going, well, Jesus, when we've got Jesus who stands in, the, in between us, it's going, actually, no, God looks like Jesus. So when it says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize, that's not just talking about Jesus. In terms of, like, not, he, he is not the only one that can sympathize. God can sympathize. The Father sympathizes. Because God looks like Jesus, and Jesus look, looks like God. So it says that they sympathize with us in all our weaknesses. Um, but, but, but they were in all points tempted as we are yet without sin let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need that Jesus came to earth to go look this is what God looks like and he did it so we could go look at Jesus and go okay that's what God looks like God looks like Jesus Jesus looks like God therefore because that's changed my perception I want to now come boldly towards him because it's now removed that infamiliarity with God, that confusion about, but God, you, you did this thing, you did that. No, if it doesn't look like Jesus, then we misunderstand it. Jesus is the perfect representation of what God looks like, and therefore, because I see him, I'm confident to come near. Because I look at the life of Jesus, and he, everybody came near him. Everybody. Every single person in the whole of society felt connected in some way to Jesus, the religious and the non-religious, the rebellious and the goody-goody. Whatever it may be, every single person drew near to him because he was approachable. And in the same way, the Father's going, I'm approachable. Because when Jesus looks like it, that's what I look like too. That was meant to be a little introduction. Anyway, it was a massive introduction, okay? Just go to Luke 15. Okay, so Luke 15. We're not going to read the lost sheep as much as I would love to. We're not going to read the power of the lost coins as much as I would love to. We're going to read the power of the lost son, which is the worst title of any Bible translator giving it in the world. Okay, um, he, Luke 15 verse 11 says this. Jesus talking. He said, Jesus said, a certain man. This is a story, and I know you've heard this before, and we the Holy Spirit, just again, help us look at this with fresh eyes. Help it speak to our hearts, not just our intellect. Help we get past that into something that affects us. Um, so, a certain man. This story is about a man who had two sons. It's not about one son. Nor is it even just about two sons. It's about a man who had two sons. 
And that's really important because the title is wrong. It is absolutely fundamentally wrong. And it's written probably by religious people for some reason, okay? Um, because the whole point of it is that this is not the story of one lost son. This is a story of two lost sons, but actually even more important than that, it's a story of one father with two lost sons and the father's reaction and the father's heart towards them. That Jesus in this story is probably in one of the most clear and obvious ways demonstrating this is what God the Father looks like. That Jesus, remember, came to reveal the Father. And he did that in his day-to-day actions. And we see that all over the place. But in this story, this is probably one of the clearest ways where he articulated, this is what God looks like. This is how God would behave. This is what God would do. Um, and it says that. So it's then, in verse 12 it says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country where he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his, stom- his stomach with pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I would arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but, he was, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and um, and in your sight, I'm no, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and his sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his oldest son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what, the th- what these things meant. Um... All right, stop there. I'll keep going. And he said to him, "Your brother has come, and because he he has received him um, safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf." But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, "Lo, these many years I have been serving you, and I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and you never gave me a young goat, and I that I might make merry with, with my friends." But as soon as this, this son of yours came, with, uh, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots and killed the fatted calf for him. Yes, so you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that you should make merry, so that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. There is so much in this parable. There, there is just, it just literally bursts out of the pages. But I want to just try and go through some things because this series is about being home that neither of these sons were home and Jesus is trying to re-correct the view of humanity what God looks like what the father looks like and he's, he's basically saying this is what the father looks like now I'm not going to necessarily go there now but in, you can note it now if you want to go there in your own time Deuteronomy 21 talks about what would have happened or what should have happened under the law to the son that left and it's not nice 
Okay, so this is not like just some normal everyday Jewish father that Jesus is talking about. This is Jesus correcting and booking against the, the kind of expectations of what this father should have done to deal with his rebellious son. So Jesus is not just going, oh, this is a nice guy. We, we, we're it's going, of course he'd do that. But in that time, Jesus is challenging the expectation of what this father should have done to his son. So he's correcting it. Correcting it to say, actually, that's not the heart of the father. This is the heart of Father God. And it's just interesting from that point of view that, that you've got lot, lot, lots of things here. And I'm just going to try and go through it a little bit. First one, very obvious, but both... Were away from the father, both sons. One was away from the father, doing prodigal living or, or having parties and getting drunk and goodness knows what else he was doing. Um, the other one was away from the father in the field. So you've got one in the field, you've got one at a party, let's say, or prodigal living, having a blast, doing that kind of stuff. Okay, both away from the father's house. Neither of them were home, and therefore, because neither of them were home, neither of them, for whatever reason had a correct view of what the father looked like because both of them had put themselves away from the father. So for whatever reason, there was a misunderstanding of what the father looked like. Now remember, Jesus' whole purpose is to come and reveal the father. So he's saying, look, no matter whether you're here or you're here, this is how the father deals with you. Interestingly then, both wanted to gain an identity that was separate from the father and was their own. The, the one who went to kind of do prodigal living, whatever that means, he wanted an identity that, that was separate from his father, that wanted an identity of his own. I want to take what's mine and I want to go and set myself up. I want to go and be the kind of wealth, wealthy rich guy. I want to be that kind of guy on YouTube that's got 10 million views. I want to be the guy who everyone wants to be, the kind of the celebrity. I want to be him. I want to come out an identity away over here because I want to establish myself. I want to be something. The other, the other one who wanted an identity of, of, of hard working, of diligent. I, I am, I've been working in the field for years. I've been, I've been, I've been obedient. I've done, I've done what I was meant to do. I, I'm a kind of like hard work. I'm going to get, get to the top. I'm going to take over this whole estate when you die, Father, because I'm the hard-working one. Unlike that son of yours over there who wants to be that celebrity, the one, the one everyone wants to party with, all that kind of stuff, that I'm over here. So both of them were trying to establish an identity. Interestingly, both of them lost their identity in that process. Doesn't that tell us so much about that their identity was actually found in, at home? That their their identity was true identity that lasts is found in the presence of God at home with the Father. Because this one lost his identity because he literally became someone that wasn't as valuable as a pig. That's a pretty low, low identity shift. From kind of like, I am the guy on, on YouTube, I'm the celebrity, I'm one of the Kardashians. I mean, come on, man, I, I'm like it. To actually now I'm not even as good as a pig because they won't even give me the stuff they want to feed to the pigs. That's a pretty shocking identity drop down. The other one had, had fallen so low that, that, that his identity was one of a servant, even though he didn't necessarily consciously think that. That was the identity that he demonstrated. Because he didn't go and ask his father what was going on. He, he, he said he, he was with the servants, and that's one of the servants what was going on. Because he, he, his connection with his father had broken down to such a degree that actually he was identifying as someone that, I'm just a worker. I'm just a servant. I, I just do jobs. That's who I am. 
that's what I am. I'm, I'm just a hard worker. I'm not a, not a good person till I've achieved it perfectly. But perhaps a bit of a perfectionist. I'm perhaps a bit of a workaholic. I'm perhaps a bit of someone that's just trying to get status or, or um, position in, in this thing. But actually he's identified one so far that he didn't see himself as any, any better than a servant. So both of them lost their identity because both of them tried to find their identity elsewhere. It's really interesting because both of them also compared themselves to lesser versions of who they were. And they allowed comparison to happen. The the one who was now lesser than a pig went, actually, wait a minute, I can be a servant in my father's house as opposed to less than a pig. And they kind of had this idea, okay, yeah, actually, I'm probably not good enough anymore to be a son, but I'm probably just about good enough to be a servant. And therefore, I'll go back and be a servant. And that's so often sometimes what we do, isn't it? It's like, actually, I've fallen a bit low. I'll probably never get to where I want to be, but I'll go for that because that's probably, that, that's better than where I am right now. This one over here, amazingly, yeah. when he's talking about his brother, says that I've never transgressed any of your commandments. I've never gone and done any of those terrible things. I've never slept with prostitutes. I've never wasted your money. I've never done those things. I'm not as bad as him. The, 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 his comparison is very much that actually I'm going to mind my identity by making sure that I'm better than somebody else. And how often do we do that? So actually, I'm okay because I'm better than him. Well, look at that Christian that kind of professes to be a Christian. Look at their terrible life. Or look at their terrible theology. Or look at the way that they do this stuff. Or look at the way that they say this stuff. Or whatever it may be. That, that he is comparing himself to other people and going, actually, I'm better because I'm not as bad as that. But wasn't a son. Was trying to find some kind of identity in comparison. In the same way that that his brother were, that they're doing exactly the same stuff. They're just doing it on different sides of the father's house. They're just doing it in different locations. And, and, I, and I believe that God is calling them both home. The father's calling them both home in the same way that he's calling us home. He's saying, look, let your identity be based on me and what I say of you, not on how hard you work or how much better you are than other people, not on whether you can climb the kind of celebrity culture and whether you can actually just be a little bit better than what you think you are. Okay, let me be the one that gives you an identity that is founded completely on what I think of you that will never change. And I believe in this story that God is trying to, um, well, Jesus is very much identifying, look, your identity is based on the Father. That, that's that's why I've come to reveal him to you. And I think for us this morning, that God wants this to go beyond just a story that we've heard lots of times. And it to sink down and go, God, I want to come home. I want to come home. I want to forget chasing that or forget doing that. I want to just come home. I want to be with you home. I think this next bit is, is I, I've never seen this before and it, it kind of really, I don't, even when I was reading that, it kind of, it got to me again. This story is, is so synonymous with this idea. Again, we know it goes against Jewish culture and this is horrendous what what the father's done a the son is basically wished that the father would be dead by asking for the inheritance b um the father should now deal with him extremely harshly c therefore he should never ever run to him when he's coming back 
That should never happen. But he does it. And that is the bit we kind of pull in this story, don't we? We have this idea that the father's waiting, the son comes on his way back, and the father's waiting and watching, which is just beautiful. That God is waiting and watching. He's like, I'm not angry with you, I'm just wanting you to come home. So I'm waiting and watching. And when he sees him, he runs to him. And he grabs him, and he hugs him, and he kisses him. He would have stunk like a pig. But he grabs him, and he hugs him, and he kisses him. And he doesn't allow him to speak. He starts speaking, just show, just get the stuff that's meant to be his proper identity. Get, get this other stuff off him, and give him his proper identity back. That's all he's bothered about. The, there's not a single moment in the father's expression to him about, oh my goodness me, what have you done? Where have you been? Why have you done that? None of that. The father's primary purpose in this moment is I want to give you your identity back. And your identity is when you're close to me. Your identity is when you're near me. And the father ran to him and went to him. And that is the kind of almost the, the traditional way we look at that story. And it's beautiful and it's powerful. But actually, it happened to both of them. Because we then pick up the end of the story and, and the oldest son is angry. And how amazing is this? The oldest son is angry and the father goes to him. Because it says this in verse 26. The eldest son says, so he called one of the servants, his people, the people he associates with. And asked what these things meant. Hasn't got a clue what's, what's going on. And the servant said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry, so he would not go into the house. So the father doesn't go, Well, I can deal with, with, with when you mess up in this kind of area of stuff, but I can't deal with your religiousness. Which is so often the way we read the scriptures and we read the gospels. That Jesus was okay with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the, and the kind of low of the low. But he wasn't okay with the religious. And I'm not saying we think that, but, but, but traditionally we kind of look at it like that. But actually it says here that, but he was angry so would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. Then in the same way the father went to the other son, he came out to this son as well. That in both situations, Jesus is going, look... The father is not just interested in these guys over here. He's also interested, Jesus is telling the story to religious people. He is, he is communicating and saying, look, he's not just interested in me, he's coming to you as well. And you're angry right now. And you're really annoyed right now because I have communicated a story that goes against every tradition, every kind of taught expectation about how you deal with this rebellious son. And you're probably resonating with the son in the field right now. His audience is resonating with this son. And he's going, I know you're angry. And he's not just going to be angry. Deal with it. What he's doing is going, and the Father's going to come to you as well. He's going to come to you in your anger. He's going to come to you in your, when you're condemning everything, left, right and centre. He's going to come to you when you are having a go at everybody else. He's going to come to you. He's going to come to you when you refuse to come to me. It's really what he's saying. When you refuse to come near, he's going to come to you. Now that is stunning. Because that's Jesus going, I'm going to break down every single possible barrier in your minds about what God the Father looks like. He wants you home. And the amazing thing about this story for me is I know it's built around this. and I don't know whether this is okay or not, but I'm going to say it anyway. But both of them shut up after the Father spoke. Both of them. The famous one is this one, isn't it? Where he has this big rhetoric planned 
and he kind of has this big idea but I'm not worthy to be your son I'm not worthy to this I'm not worthy to that and then you just the father kind of just shuts him up get in the robe get in the stuff and the son stops talking we don't ever hear the son speak again we assume the son's accepted that because he's come back into the home and there's a party gone on so we can kind of infer that that probably happened this one over here is moaning and saying, look, it's not fair. I've never done what he's done. I've always been here. I've done everything you wanted me to do. I've, I've, I've always worked hard in the field and I'm angry with him because you've thrown him apart and it's not fair. The father comes out to him and then the father speaks to him. And we never hear from the elder son again. Ever. We, we, we never hear him utter another word. And so I believe that in Jesus' beautiful storytelling narrative, he's almost going, and what's your response? To his audience, what's your response? Because you're feeling angry. I'm showing that the father's coming to you. Now, what's your response? I'm not going to fill it in for you. How are you going to respond to this? Are you going to turn your back again on him? Then I'm going to come again and find you again. You're going to turn your back again, then I'll come and find you again. Because he's never going to give up. But in this moment, what's your response? How are you going to answer? What are you going to say in this situation? Are you going to come back into the home or are you going to stay out in the field? What are you going to do? And I just love this line. This is the response. The father's response to this angry, feeling mistreated son who's separate from his father. He talks and he talks and he talks. And it says in verse 31, that it says, Son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Just think about that for a minute. God the Father through the message of Jesus, is communicating to these religious Pharisees, to the, to, to the part of us that feels an injustice because that person does not deserve what they've got. Or that person's not okay. Or that person's not alright. The God the Father, through the message of what the Jesus community is saying, look, everything I have is yours. Not just possessions, not just things, but everything I have is yours. That I am yours. I am your father. I am here with you in this field, in, your, in the place where you think your identity is based. I'm with you in this place. And I'm saying to you, everything I have is yours. This is exactly the same message to, to the other son here. There, there was never a hesitation in the father to say, no, you're not having that stuff yet. As soon as he asked for this inheritance, he gave it to him. And what, just a little sort of thing, what I think is beautiful is notice that the inheritance he gave to the son, in the, the rebellious son, Caused the father no lack. Because as soon as the son came back, he was able to throw a party. As soon as he went to this, he said, All I've got is yours. I think it's just a beautiful thing that, that it doesn't matter. I think Luke said it this morning it doesn't matter how much favor or how much resource or how much whatever or love or acceptance or whatever it may be someone else gets, it doesn't mean there's a lack in God. Because so often we do that, don't we? What, what's the problem with this son over here? He's going, you've just killed the fatted calf for him. I.e., there's no fatted calf left for me. But then the father's coming and going, everything I've got is yours. And I just feel like it's this sense of like, actually, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I've done it for him. We can do the same for you. Because there's never a lack. The, 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 when we look at things sometimes, we go, well, why have they got so much good stuff? It's almost like they've got it, which means I can't, which is the way that our society is built on. It's like they've got, so I can't have. But the father's going, no, 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 there's enough for everybody. There's enough for everybody. I don't lack, I don't, I don't have nothing. Everything I have is yours. The both were shown in a limited resource. 
that both were quiet after the father had spoken. And I and I think that, in a way, is is the point for us. Is that wherever we associate with, whether we associate more with this side, whether we associate more with this side, or whether we kind of associate some kind of amalgamation of the two, which is probably more accurate. The Father has come. Wherever we pin ourselves, on whatever part of this spectrum, whether we're here, or here, or right over here, or wherever we are, He has come to us. I don't mean that in the sense he's not been here before, but in this morning, this moment, the Holy Spirit has gone okay, and the Father's here. And I think it's beautiful that we don't have a written response about how either son responded, because I think then that makes the response unique and individual. And what's my response? What's our response? What's your response to the Father coming? To the Father coming and going, everything I've got is yours. Let me give you your identity back. Are we running away again? Are we staying out in the field? Are we staying in our anger? Or are we letting as the Father comes go, I'm just here and we can just, just see all that drift away. Because with me you find home. With me the anger just, just drifts away because you find home. With me you find identity. Therefore you don't need to find it in celebrity culture. Or how many likes you've got on Facebook. Or I don't even know. How many followers you've got on YouTube. Whatever it might be. Okay, You don't need to find it in how hard you work. Nothing wrong with working hard. But your identity doesn't need to be found in that. Or how successful you are at work. But I'm here and everything I have is yours. What's our response? What's my response? Father, I just received that. Help me do that. Help me let you come and be home here. Help that happen. Because... Where are we? Are we with the pigs? Are we in the field? Are we, are we on the path? Are we angry with God, with somebody else? Are we irritated with the, the opposite son? Are we, are we, where are we? And it's that, it's that thing, God, where am I? And where I am doesn't actually make a jot of difference because you come to me and, you, and you've come to me. And in that moment, God, I want to I just go, I'm home. And I want to just go, Father, I'm home because where you are, and this is the beautiful thing to me, and I'll finish with this thought. The Father is so lavish and, and, and so ridiculously big in, in his heart for them that he has literally gone, I'm not even going to wait for you to come into the house. For neither of them had to come into the house to be home. Because the house wasn't what home was. Home was where the Father was. So home for the prodigal son was on that path. Whatever part of that path he was, that was home. And in that place, in that weird location, the father went, this is home. Your identity is coming back. For this one, this is ridiculous. Think about it. The home for this one was where the father was. That he came to him in the field, in the place that he thought his identity was. And he came to him there and said, I'm here now. Get a new identity from me. Let me give you identity. Let me show you that everything I've got is yours. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to work for it. It's all yours anyway. The father didn't, is so inc- incredibly in love with 
whatever place we find that he just goes and goes right home I'm just going to come and be home and isn't that what Jesus did Jesus came and went I'm just going to come and be with you because I want you to realize that I'm with you in whatever state you find yourself in and then he went in one step further when the Holy Spirit came and went I'm just going to come and make my home with you because then there's not even about physical location it's about I'm just with you and he's with us this morning he's going I'm here home is here let me come in let me come and get past the anger past the shame past the condemnation past the guilt past whatever it might be let me come past that and let me just bring wholeness and healing in that so Holy Spirit I just ask that as we go about our day and our week that that you would just let this resonate with us and let it just be something that just stirs upon the inside of us that you keep bringing us back to and as painful as it might be or as uncomfortable as it might be or as awkward as it might be at different points to um, allow some of those barriers those barricades to come down just help that happen whether it's barriers of anger or condemnation or guilt or shame or regret or whatever it may be just help us let those barriers come down and let you just come in and just let us know we're home let us connect with you In Jesus' name. Amen. So...